Father, we ask that you are among us. We know you are among us, but we come before you in faith and we ask that you speak into our hearts this morning, encouraging us with your presence and with your word. And we ask that we are able to respond in faith, Father, trusting you, trusting your word and trusting your ways. And we can pray, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't need to tell you how crazy the last week has been for us as a country and for us as a planet. And it's been extremely challenging. It seems that just half a week ago, uh, this coronavirus was something happening somewhere else to other people. And for me, it was kind of like Thursday where it all came close, it all came home, and suddenly everyone's freaking out, and everyone is concerned, and um, of course our numbers as a country started climbing, and within like 24 hours, businesses were taking measures, businesses, some businesses were closing, airlines were stopping, traffic coming from Europe, schools were closing, some churches are not meeting today, and maybe like you, uh, or maybe like me, you decided it's a good time to go to Diskim and stock up on some hand sanitizer and soap and toilet paper, and you got there and you realized that somebody else got there before you. Um, and here's the irony, is that we're doing this series called Step Up, where we're really trying to challenge us as a church, how do we put our faith into practice in very tangible ways? And today's challenge was going to be, how do we step deep into community? How do we just gather more and how do we enjoy that more and commit to one another with more devotion? And so that was going to be the challenge. We were going to get all the life groups onto the stage and then Corona came out. They're like, no, stay at home, stay at home, stop gathering. And um, so we realized that might not be a timeliest message for us this morning. However, uh, I do believe community is important and we need to find ways of connecting even in the midst of all of what's going on at the moment. So a number of weeks ago, we spoke about our vision for the year that we believe God is wanting to lead us into living set-apart lives. What does it mean to come under Him? What does it mean to live in such a way that not only are we different to the world around us, because there is going to be that, but how are we ready and prepared for when God does come with His plans and His purposes and His promises? And the response was, yes, Lord, amen. Yes, Lord, we want plans. We want promises. We want to be part of His purposes. And then Corona hits and we're like, where's the plans and the promises and the purposes? This is not what I signed up up for. But I do believe that this is a good time for us to ask ourselves, what does it mean in the middle of this to be set apart? And I don't mean self-isolating. How does our faith transform how we think in moments like this? How are we tangibly going to think differently, feel differently, hope differently, and act differently in this season? How are we going to be set apart and actually think it's very good for us to continue using this language, step up? How are we as God's people going to step up in moments like this and other scenarios which have actually come across us historically and will most certainly come across us in the future? The Bible tells us so clearly in so many different ways that it is not in times of blessing that God's people stand out. 
Man, when the bank account's full and when we're all healthy and when everything's smooth sailing, man, everyone, doesn't matter who you are, what religion you are, or whether you're an atheist or an agnostic, you're like, yes, hallelujah, praise the Lord, everything's good. Doesn't take any supernatural work to be set apart in times of ease. But if we look at history, if we look at the scriptures, it is in times of challenge to quote the book of 1 Peter, that our faith is proved genuine. Because everything else is taken away and the roots of why we believe and who we believe and what we believe are exposed. And so I think this is a good opportunity for us to have a good long look at our faith. And I am praying that something in us is strengthened today and our faith is proved Genuine. So as I watch the news and the conversations and the, all what's going on in social media, I've kind of noticed two different responses to what's going on at the moment, especially when it comes to Christians. And the first one is a response out of fear. And where everyone else is freaking out and the Christians are freaking out too. And, and not only are we afraid, and we'll talk about that in a second, but we actually get on board with the fear mongering talking about how this is God's judgment, this is the end of the world, and we just dive into speculation, conspiracies, and just generally using our influence, however small or large it is, to peddle fear. That's one response. And then on the opposite end are those who are trying, and I think right-heartedly, possibly wrong-headedly, trying to respond in faith. But this form, which I believe is more foolish than faith, is men, no, we're denying that there's anything going on. And so we just pretend everything's gonna be okay because I'm covered in the blood of the lamb, right? And it sounds all spiritual. It sounds like, man, this is what faith should look like. But I don't think that faith means we need to deny difficulty and deny challenges. And as we look at history and we look at the Bible, we see that that is an extremely foolish position and even more so an unloving position. So here's what I'm interested in. I'm asking, what does a genuine faith look like? Not some sort of middle road as if it's a compromise between fear and foolishness. But as we move that all the table, off the table, how can God call us to be set apart? How can God call God's light to shine in dark times? And by the way, if you look at history, this is when God's people have been at their best. And so here's an opportunity for us to be at our best. And so as I was thinking about this and praying about this, I believe that the verse the Lord brought to mind for me and us as a church is a verse you've heard before probably, a verse many of you have probably uh, uh, memorized, maybe put on a meme or a bump, bumper sticker or your screensaver, but it is a verse that I think is so powerful for us in this time. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so my sermon is gonna be very simple this morning. It's just gonna be looking at these four big words on the screen. So we're gonna spend some time talking about fear. 
And then we're going to spend some time talking about power, talking about love, and talking about having self-control or having a sound mind. And I'm praying that God strengthens our faith in the season. So let's talk about fear. This verse says, we have not been given a spirit of fear. So maybe a question you should ask is, why out of all the things out there, out of all the challenges to faith, why did Paul choose the word fear? Now, if you know me, I'm a stickler for guys. We need to get into the context. We need to understand why Paul is writing in this specific way. So Paul's writing to a pastor of a church in Ephesus. His name is Timothy. And it seems like Timothy was prone to fear. He was prone to being timid and fearful in his responses in the church. So Paul is trying to encourage him. But as we take that encouragement and apply it to us, I think there's two very important reasons as to why Paul said, not, uh, we do not have a spirit of selfishness or we do not have a spirit of pride, but we do not have a spirit of fear. And I think number one is because fear is a very real response to challenging circumstances. If you weren't even a little bit afraid, I would wonder if you're human. At the moment, there are probably a number of things triggering your fear. And maybe for different people in the room, it is going to be different things. Maybe some of you are legitimately concerned for your health. And you're like, Stephen, I don't care about the statistics. I'm concerned that if I get sick, I'm going to become one of those whatever single digit percentage people. Or maybe you realize that for whatever reason, you are more at risk than others around you. And maybe that leads you to fear. Maybe you're not afraid for your own health, but you're afraid for the health of loved ones, people who you know are more at risk. Maybe thinking about your parents or your children or, 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 or family that are in another continent and, and you're afraid for them and that's what's keeping you awake at night. Maybe some of you aren't afraid for health reasons, you're afraid of what's going to happen with your business. We as a family have already been impacted economically by this thing. And I know that many of you are involved in businesses and to be honest, most of us are probably gonna be more impacted here than with regards to our health. And maybe that brings about fear in your heart and fear in your minds. And maybe it's not just about your own business, but maybe it's about the kind of economic, political situation of our country and in fact of our world. And you're like, listen, we've already been in a recession and now Corona comes and hits us. Can we deal with this? Can we cope with this? Maybe you're worried about, listen, are our business and political leaders going to make decisions that benefit us or going to benefit them? And I think for these reasons and many more others, we have some very real responses of fear to what is going on in the world at the moment. So that's the first reason, that fear is a real response to challenging circumstances but I think another main reason why Paul isolates fear as opposed to many other things is because fear is one of the biggest obstacles to faith. So Paul says God's not given us a spirit of fear, but he has given us these things. And so by isolating fear, I think he's recognizing that the biggest challenge to these things that Paul is, that God is wanting to nurture in our hearts is this thing, which is fear. And that if we find better ways of dealing with fear, then we will be able to enter more fully into the things of God's Spirit. And the things that God does have for us, even in challenging circumstances. 
And so maybe you're saying, Mr. Stephen, you've just told us that fear is okay and it's understandable to be afraid. And I did, and I stand by that. But Stephen, then are you telling me that it's wrong to be afraid? Well, here's how I would answer that question. So I do think fear is a very natural response. And in many ways, again, that tells me you're human. But I think there's a big difference between recognizing your fear, recognizing where it comes from, knowing what to do with it on one hand, and being ruled and governed by fear. So it's one thing to recognize you're legitimately afraid. It's another thing that every decision you make is directed by fear because fear always leads you in and down. And what do I mean by that? Fear always makes you concerned about unero numo. I'm concerned about me. And the more afraid you get, the more you're gonna make decisions driven by selfwardness. And so fear leads you in. But fear also leads you down. It's like a self-perpetuating downward spiral where fear begets fear, which means tomorrow you wake up with more fear. And on Tuesday, you wake up with even more fear. And I don't know about you, but that's not a reality I want you to live in. As fear leads you in and down. So what is ruling you? What is driving you? Your decisions, your thoughts, your habits. When you're just driving and your mind drifts, where does it go? Is it fear? Or is there maybe another way of being? A better response to challenging circumstances. A way of rising above fear. Yes, responding to fear. But where instead of being crippled by fear and an inability to actually know what to do next, is there a way of moving towards more faithful, love-motivated choices? And so we've spoken about fear, and that's the first word for us this morning. The second word is power. Paul says we've not been given a spirit of fear, but we have, we have been given a spirit of power. So what does this mean? Well, first of all, it simply means if we look at power, love, and self-control or a sound mind, this is something we have been given. It is in something that is accessible to us. It is a way of responding, a way of living in difficult and challenging circumstances, which means I'm not going to be governed and ruled by fear, but I'm able to rise above it, and it has been given to me. It is not something that I have automatically available within my own self and resources, but God has provided heavenly resources to us, and it is right there for us in His Spirit. And so if we are gonna live in power, the first step for you to do if you wanna engage in that is to remind yourself daily that you don't have it within yourself to live faith-filled, love, others-focused lives. Now that sounds like a negative thing. I think it's an amazing thing. Because it means that every single morning you get to wake up and you get to say, Lord, I don't know if I've got what it takes to rise above today. But you do. And you have given me a spirit of power. So I choose to lean into you. Lord, I, I feel like fear is taking over. But you say perfect love casts out fear, so I'm gonna lean into you. 
Lord, I'm waking up this morning and I'm not feeling very sacrificial. I'm not feeling very others focused. I'm not feeling very loving at the moment. But you have loved me and you have given me a spirit of power and so I choose to lean into you. Lord, I, I don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow with my health and my business and this country and this world, but you do, so I'm gonna trust you. And so every day, in every circumstance, we choose to recognize our own deficiency and then choose to lean into God's sufficiency. Now, you might wake up tomorrow morning and pray the prayer and get to four o'clock tomorrow afternoon and say, Stephen, you lied because nothing's changed. And here's what I wanna promise you, is that maybe you wake up tomorrow morning, you pray these prayers, you get to four o'clock, it feels like nothing's changed, but then do it again on Tuesday. Then do it again on Wednesday. And then when you feel fearful and you feel selfish and you feel like you are losing control, lean into God's power and do it again on Thursday and do it again on Friday. And here's what I do promise you, that in two weeks time, in two months time, in two years time, you will be in a very different place than if you had continued on the trajectory of fear. So how do we do this? How do we access power? Well, it's an old answer to an ever-present question. And that is in prayer. We access God's power. We access God's life. We access God's love in prayer. I don't have time to expand just how some of our prayerful habits can increase just how we are availing ourselves to God in prayer. But maybe you're hearing that even in what I'm saying, this is not a quick little one-two prayer. Thank you, God, for my breakfast. Help me with my exam today. And please let me not be afraid. This is about abiding in the Lord about positioning myself so that what He wants to give, we've got time to receive. But it happens in prayer. And so we cast our fears onto God in prayer. I encourage you to itemize them. God, I'm afraid of, dot, 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 dot. Cast your burdens onto Jesus for He cares for you. We lean into Him in prayer. We ask for power in prayer. We saturate ourselves with His love in prayer. We seek wisdom in prayer. We trust God for healing in prayer. We also receive persevering power when we call to persevere through trials in prayer. We receive new perspectives in prayer. And so as these kinds of things come across our nation, come across our planet, it is often in these times that God's people and even those who would not consider themselves religious turn to God in prayer. And I want to encourage you that we lean into the more that God has for us in these seasons. More than just God help me. But Lord, help me live such a faith-filled, others-directed life. Because you have given me not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. So that's the first two words, fear and power. Let's talk about the third word, which is love. You see, if fear leaves you in, leads you inward and downward, love leads you upward and outward. I say it leads us upward because we're not gonna self-define love because our love is not powerful enough to withstand world tragedy. And so I'm gonna look at the author of love. 
And I'm going to look at how God has loved me and how he defines love and how he has loved me and how he has demonstrated me. And when that love saturates my being, then I'm empowered to go out and love others in the same way. And so 1 John 4 verses 10 says, this is love. You want to know what love is? Go find that verse and underline it, bold it, highlight it. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Meaning you want to know what love is? Don't look in your own heart, look in his. He loved us. And what did he do? He gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So if that becomes our definition of love, what is love? Well, it's about stepping into others' brokenness and others' pain. And it's about me being willing to take that on myself for the redemption and the upliftment of others. So that is love. So I look up for that love. But then that love is going to push me out. It's going to push me outward. The Bible describes this kind of love very clearly. Again, a passage you probably heard ad nauseum, but so practical for a time like this. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8a. Love is patience. Love is kind. Love does not envy, does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is exactly what we need and what our world needs at this time. Think about how practical this is. I mean, do we need more fear or do we need more kindness? Let's look at some of these definitions of love. Well, love is patience. Well, we're in a time of chaos, a time of frenzy, a time of panic to decisions. And by us leaning into the patience of God and allowing patience to be one of the fruits of our lives, we are able to be and exist differently in a frenzied world. Love is kind. And by definition, this is not just about a, a kind heart. This is about our kind actions. And so in this time, if our love is gonna be others directed and if we're gonna be thinking through the lens of I wanna love and I wanna demonstrate this love through kind actions, many of those basic things, I don't need to tell you about them. Just, just wash your hands. If you're feeling sick, stay at home, fist pump, headbutt, elbow shots, whatever. Just <laughs> maybe you feel strong enough and maybe you're confident in your own health. But what if you become a carrier, you pass it on to someone who maybe outwardly looks strong, but inwardly is at risk? As so following very basic procedures is not out of fear, it's about kindness. It's about loving our neighbors. As we're kind, let's be aware of those at-risk people around us. Let's check up on them. How are you doing? Let's be aware of those who are in need at this time and let us respond in appropriate ways. Love is kind. Love is also not self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking because by definition, love is others-focused. As the history books are filled with times of plague and war. And in fact, one could argue that the last probably 80 odd years of our global time 
is actually an anomaly in terms of just what global health has been like. Because before that, plagues and wars and strife and difficulty and kind of high death rates and high infant death rates has been the norm for most people. And so what we have become accustomed to is almost abnormal. And so for centuries, people around the planet, and if not right now, are needing to ask the question, how do we love and how do we be kind and how do we trust God in challenging circumstances? But it is during these dark moments, I said earlier, that Christians have been at their best. Why? Because they were not self-seeking. They served others who were at risk. They served the sick. During one of the big plagues of the Roman Empire, kind of third, second, third century, the Emperor Julian, he just noticed with absolute disgrace that it was his own people who were not looking after his own people. Romans were not looking after Romans. And when he figured out, but how are our sick being nurtured and cared for, he realized it was Christians who were looking after Romans. And that disgusted him, and he tried to motivate pagan temples, and he tried to motivate Romans to increase the degree to which they were looking after fellow Romans. And it never happened. Why? Because when it came to their own rock-bottom belief system, there was nothing there to buoy up a sense of care and concern for your neighbor. And this is what he said. He said, For it is a disgrace that the impious Galileans, Christians, support not only their own poor, but ours as well. Historians have argued that this is probably one of the biggest reasons why Christianity grew so prolifically in the Roman Empire, despite persecution, because of the way they were not self-seeking. Guys, Mother Teresa was not known for having a room full of toilet paper and hand sanitizer. Now, there's nothing wrong with having these things. We need to be wise. We'll get to that in a second. But she was known for not being self-seeking. She was known for living out the gospel by answering the pain and difficulty and challenge of other people's lives. And that's how she made the light of Christ shine in darkness. See, fear, all of these things are gonna have an effect. Fear tends to breed fear, whereas love tends to inspire love. And we've got an opportunity to take that in faith. And then this verse ends by, all this passage ends by saying, just think how practical this is for us right now. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. These are things that we and our world need right now. So God's given us a spirit of love. The fourth word I wanna speak about this morning is sound mind. Some of you have, practiced this verse and rehearsed this verse differently, maybe self-control, self-discipline, all really coming to the, the same idea whereby I stand gatekeeper on my thoughts and my actions that come out of how I think. And so I'm gonna guard how I think because how I think is gonna affect how I live and how I act. And so these ideas of having a sound mind or self-control or self-discipline, really the same big idea Guys, neuroscientists have taught us that if we are driven by fear, fear literally short circuits your brain. But it has to. 
If you think about it, if you're walking around the Drakensberg and a big scary male baboon jumps out at you, you don't have time to think. You don't have time to kind of calculate my odds against this guy or how big are his teeth? Immediately your brain is saying, I don't want you to spend a second thinking, so I'm gonna inject some chemicals into your body that are gonna put you into fight or flight mode. So either you're going to stick around and because of these, uh, this adrenaline in your body, you've got more chance of maybe gaining some ground against this big hairy baboon or you're going to run and you're going to run faster than you ever have. And that's what fear is supposed to do to us. But you cannot live there. If you're living in fear constantly, man, what's, your brain is literally being cooked by the amount of chemicals being pumped into your brain and you are literally unable to think properly. And so God's word inspires us, yes, to recognize the fear. Know how to turn to God in our fear, but not be ruled by fear. And so if we're gonna lean into the spirit of self-control, the spirit of having a sound mind, the spirit of controlling my, my thoughts and my decisions. That means recognizing, God, I need that power to help me to do that. And again, I'm feeling crippled by fear today, Lord, I give it to you. Would you give me the spirit of a sound mind? Every single one of us needs to make very practical decisions. Makes us human. We do need to make decisions about our finances, about loss of income. We do need to make decisions about groceries and toilet paper and hand sanitizer. We do need to make decisions about where is it safe and wise for me to go. But again, are those decisions gonna be inspired by fear, by the Spirit of God who's got the power to give you a sound mind? We do need to be informed now guys, there's a lot of good information out there and increasingly on our website, you, most of you would have seen that link we put up online. We wanna give you the best information that is guaranteed to inform you and help you make wise decisions. But there's a whole lot of bad information out there. And so if we are to have a sound mind, we're gonna look at good information and we're gonna ask God for wisdom. God says, if you ask for wisdom, I give it to you without measure. That's part of having a sound mind, but part, again, part of it realizing, but I don't know if I've got it in me to make the best decisions. So God, I come to you for the spirit of self-control and a sound mind. Having a steady mind, having self-control is exactly what we need in times of panic and hysteria. So as we wrap up, it looks like we're quite early this morning. Is it okay to experience fear in this time? It is okay. But are we going to be ruled and driven and motivated by fear? I think the answer should be no. I think the answer should be God's not given us a spirit of fear. And so I'm going to come to him and ask him for what he gives. Spirit of power. Spirit of love. Spirits of self-control and a sound mind. And so I don't believe faith means denying difficulty, denying challenge, denying the coronavirus. But I do believe it means being driven and ruled by God's Spirit and making immensely practical decisions, but also faith-filled and love-fueled decisions, not only about self-protection, 
but about thinking about those who are vulnerable and at risk. Now guys, I also don't want you to, I mean, this is just a good time for us to speak about this stuff. But when this passes, whether it's next week, next month, next year, who knows, when all of this passes and everything's died down, I don't want you to think back to one day when Steve preached about the coronavirus. This is not a sermon on the coronavirus. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. I'm all for amens and hallelujahs and yeah. Training your kids well there, guys. Guys, here's why we're freaked out. It's because for most of us, this is the first time our lives have been threatened by something that's come into our proximity or has the potential to. But there are people who have been dealing with life-threatening realities every single day of their lives. It may not be called a coronavirus, it may be called poverty. Maybe some of you have been experiencing life-threatening realities. Maybe it's called cancer. Or maybe it's called depression. And various other challenges Maybe some of you have been experiencing great loss, either financially or in business or in hope. And so this is not a sermon on how to deal with the coronavirus. This is a sermon on how Christians can live lives of faith in times of challenge. And so whether we are being challenged by circumstances that might lead us into financial challenge, or health challenge, whether or not it's the coronavirus or not. Maybe this can help us be more empathetic with those in our nation and those in our planets for whom this has been a daily struggle. And they're like, oh, one more thing, the corona. So I wanna close with a quote by C.S. Lewis. You might've seen this shared online. I think it's... um, just so powerful in what he says because at the time of C.S. Lewis, it was around Second World War and um, the kind of the big fear at that time was the atomic bomb. And everyone was just so afraid that, that any day the atomic bomb is gonna come and, and all life as we know it is gonna cease to be. And so C.S. Lewis was asked, kind of how are we to respond in these times? And this is what he said. This is the first point to be made. And the first action is to, to be taken is to pull ourselves together. Paul could have said, have a spirit of a sound mind. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. A microbe can also do that. But they need not dominate our minds. For God's not given us a spirit of fear. But God calls us to faith. A spirit of power, love, and a sound mind, self-control. So I want to invite us. I'm going to spend a bit more time than I normally do just closing in prayer and thinking through some of the various dimensions that I have and even some that I haven't touched on. And if we're gonna access what God wants to give us, if we're gonna do it in prayer, let's pray. So Father, we come to you 
because you are the one stable reality that does not change and shift. You're the one who loves us and cares for us regardless of our circumstances. And you provide such rich resources for love and faith. Even in challenging moments like this. So Father, for the first thing we want to do this morning is bring our fears to you. And God, maybe across this room, there are those who are feeling the fear moderately, those who are feeling it very strongly. And maybe those who aren't, it's not really a big part of their lives. But God, we bring our fears to you. We confess we're afraid. We're afraid about our lives or the lives of our loved ones. We're afraid about the future. We're afraid about the economy. We're afraid about our personal finances. But Father, your word says that perfect love casts out fear. And so we look to your love. And I pray that even now, Holy Spirit, you are pouring love into our hearts. It's amazing, Lord, that the antidote to fear is not fixing our circumstances, but by giving us love. And so we look to you. Father, we also want to mourn for those who have or will lose health, or lose loved ones. We pray that as we mourn with them, that they would be comforted by you, by your people. We mourn for those who are going to lose just economically. And we want to pray that you'd be close to those who are mourning. And Father, again, not only those who are impacted by the coronavirus, but those who are mourning for all sorts of reasons here this morning. For those who are afraid for all sorts of reasons here this morning. For those who have experienced loss for all sorts of reasons here this morning. Would you, by your Spirit, be so intimately close with your love and your presence right now? Father, we pray for the scientific and the medical community. For those who are needing to respond on the front lines. Those who are needing to think about how we respond and how we find cures. Those who are regularly being exposed to this virus and all sorts of other challenges. We pray for grace for them. We pray for wisdom for them. Pray for strength for them. We pray for endurance for them, hope and love, that that would inspire their thinking and their passion. Father, we pray for heavy doses of wisdom and courage for our political leaders and those who have broad scale influence in our countries. Father, I know that we're afraid that this is a moment for people to fill their own pockets or conserve their own selves. But we pray, Lord God, that you'd give our leaders a sense of the weightiness of this moment and just incredible dosage of wisdom and awareness of how influential their decisions are. And God, that policymakers 
and those who in many ways we put our lives into their hands, we pray that their lives are in your hands. And Father, we pray for faith. Your word says that faith is even a gift. It's a gift that you can impart to us. Deep levels of trust. In fact, maybe for some of us, the only thing left worth trusting. But I pray, Lord, not only for the kind of faith that makes me feel better, but for the kind of faith that demonstrates itself in love and power, self-control and a sound mind. And I pray that as we live out these lives of faith, that it would be like a light in dark relationships and in dark seasons. And Father, I pray for opportunities to love, opportunities to serve, opportunities to demonstrate the truth and the reality of this gospel that has saved us. Father, finally, I pray that as we look up, we would see a God whose work is defined by embracing the greatest of difficulties, climbing onto a cross for the sins of others. A God who is well acquainted with suffering and death and pain and sorrow. A God who is isolated. and has been alone more than I think we could ever comprehend. But Jesus, you did that for us, for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. And so we look up at the God. But Father, at the sense of our faith is not just a cross, but it's an empty cross. Because we look at a resurrected Jesus at a Jesus who endured the highest of human suffering, the highest of pain and loss and darkness, but punched a hole through the other side and walked out the grave with life. So God, on one hand, we look at a God who's acquainted with suffering. You are the man of sorrows, Jesus. And so you give us just incredible resources to walk with us in the fire and in the trial. You empathize with us at a level that no human possibly can. And, and, you offer us life, resurrection life, resurrection power, resurrection faith. So Father, we stand here in a posture of empty-handedness, laying down our fears, laying down our inadequacies, recognizing that we are not in control. But we look to you. And we receive because you have given us. You have given us your spirit. You have given us the spirit of love. You have given us a spirit of power and self-control and sound mind. So God, we choose to lean into you. We choose to surrender to you and trust you 
to help us live set apart lives as we step up into this world in faith. Give us wisdom, great love. In Jesus' name, amen.